Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with you some Divrei Torah. I see when they say that Florida was the sunshine state, they weren't joking. In New York, uh, the sun has not arrived yet. It'll take a couple of months. Um, but it's really a great privilege to be able to share some thoughts with, with this Chashev Makam Torah. Actually, there was once a student who always fell asleep when the Rebbe began his shiro, when the Rebbe began his lecture. In fact, without fail, within two minutes of the Rebbe's shir, the student was out cold. And one particular time, the Rebbe was just walking into the room and already the student was snoring. And the Rebbe had a, what's wrong with you? I didn't even start yet. He said, Rebbe, I trust you. you know, Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I want to speak about the lifetime of Yosef HaTzadik and Yosef's perspective and attitude toward the difficulties that he encountered throughout his life. Who encountered more challenge and more difficulty than Yosef HaTzadik? And let's try to learn now let's try to understand what type of perspective Yosef HaTadik had in dealing with these difficulties because we are living in very challenging times. There's no question that in the last 50 years, the Jews around the world and certainly the United States of America have never encountered challenges the likes of which we're encountering today, whether it's COVID, whether it's a certain feeling in this country that maybe things are not as stable as they once were. And I think there's a lot to learn from the great narrative of Yosef HaTzadik and the descent of Klal Yisrael to Mitzrayim, the parashos that we're reading about now. When Yaakov Avinu heard the incredible news that Yosef was still alive, he, really, he didn't believe it. The Pasuk says, By Yosef Liboy, his heart skipped a beat. He could not fathom, he could not believe that his son was not only alive, but was literally the world's superpower. And Yaakovina was scared, he was afraid. What would this do to his children? What would this do to Kal Yisrael? And the Rebunisham comes to Yaakov Avinu and he says, Al Tira Meradam Mitzrayim. Do not fear going down to Mitzrayim. I'm going to make you a great nation. Yosef will place his hands over your eyes. So can you imagine? Yaakov Inu is, is quaking. Yaakov Inu is very apprehensive. He's very scared. They go down to Mitzrayim, the Erevat Ha'aret, the most degenerate society in the world. What will be with Kral Yisrael? What will be with his children? And Hashem says, don't sweat it. You know why? Yosef, Yashis, Yadav, Aleinecha. Yosef will put his hands on your eyes. What exactly is Rebbein Shalom telling Yaakov Avinu that Yosef will put his hands on your eyes? Says the Zohar HaKadosh, three words. Da, Raza, Dekriya This Pasuk is the secret of Kriya So we hear these words of the Zohar and something of resonates with us. We all understand that when we say Shema, of course, we cover our eyes but why exactly do we cover our eyes when we say Shema? 
But what we're about to learn is we could look at the world and the way things see seem to us and the way things look, things look one way and we have to understand the way the world looks is not what is actually happening. In this world, we cannot allow our eyes to blind us because if we allow the way things look to form our perspective of events, we will not have an accurate perspective of what is taking place. First thing we have to know is that any time Yisrael has a challenge, any time a community has a challenge, any time any individual Jew has a challenge, man or woman, boy or girl, before the Rebbe creates the challenge, he's already created the remedy. That's what the Gemara tells us. In HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Maka es Yisrael, Ela Mkein Bayer Lahem God does not hit the Jewish people. He does not challenge the Jewish people. He does not throw us a hurdle, a curveball, until he first creates the way out. Here's the first example. What was the, the most desperate situation the Jewish people were ever in? You could make the case. Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was Aravas Ha'aretz, like we mentioned. It was the most degenerate society in the world. Kalal Yisrael and Mitzrayim sank to the 49th level of Tumah. Had we remained there a moment longer, we would have fallen to the point of no return. And even more than that, there's an idea. Anybody know that this is uh, amazing? We were supposed to be in Mitzrayim how many years? 430. How many years were we actually in Mitzrayim? 210. How many years did we actually serve Egypt in intense bitterness? 86. Very good. I'm glad you listened to my shiurim. Very good. Continue. So, 86 years. But uh, in the base pack of that, a good education. From the birth of? From the birth of Miriam. 86 years from the birth of Miriam. Yeah? What percentage is 86 out of 430? One-fifth. One-fifth. That's the meaning. We left in Mitzrayim after only serving a fifth of the time. How many years do we have to make up? 430 minus 86. 344. Whenever you hear in the Gemara that it's a Shas Shmad, it's a time of Gezeros against the Jewish people, Shemad represents the 344 years that we were supposed to be in Mitzrayim and we weren't there. That is because Mitzrayim is, so to speak, the father head of all Golos. All the Golosim, Bavel, Madai, Paras, Yavan, Golos America, it was all going to be in Mitzrayim and when we got out early, we have to make up the time. The Golos we're in today is because we weren't in Mitzrayim long enough. Egypt was the father head, the quintessential, the source of all Golos. Is five hey, Bez is Bavel, Aleph is Edoin, Yud is Yavan, Mem is Madai. All the Golosim were in Mitzrayim. So in Parshat Vayetra, as Yosef HaTzadik is about to go down to Mitzrayim and begin the whole chain of events of all of Golos, whether it's Golos Mitzrayim or the Golos we're in today, that was the starting point. That was the big Makkah. Then we have to look with open eyes. If God is sending us into Golos, then it must be, right before Yosef gets there, the Rebbe must be creating the Rafua. 
course, it's not rocket science. Just open up Parshas Vayeshev. And right before the narrative that Yosef goes down to Mitzrayim is the seemingly irrelevant little story of a man by the name of Yehuda who veered off from his brothers one day and married a woman and had two children and they were married to someone named Tamar and Yehuda ultimately does Yibum and from that union came Peretz and Zarah from which comes Malchus David, from which comes Mashiach oh Mashiach Mashiach's going to get us out of Golas okay fine Yosef Hurad Mitzrayimah. Now that we have the refuah, now Yosef could go down to Mitzrayim. Otherwise, you read Parshas Vayeshev and you think it's like a, a random digression of some irrelevant story that Yehuda went somewhere and produced Paras and Zarach. It has nothing to do with it. It's the middle of the Mechiras Yosef. You realize that? It, it just said the brothers threw him into the pit and the Ishmaelim bought him. And right there, there seems to be an irrelevant narrative of Yehuda producing Paris and Zarach, and then it gets back to Yosef. What's that doing there? The answer is, that's the most important part of Sefer Barishas. It's Rebansham creating the Refuah before the Maka. Pfizer only came up with the vaccine after the Maka. But the Rebansham created the vaccine even before they released the uh, virus somewhere in China or wherever it came from. The Rebbeinu always creates the refuah before he brings the Makkah. That's how the Rebbeinu operates. Look at Megillah Esther. Before Haman comes to the scene, before Haman becomes second in command, before he tells Achashverosh to kill the Jews, there's a woman named Esther who takes over for Vashti. She becomes the queen. And now that everything is in place to bring the salvation for the Jewish people, then, and only then, Haman rises to power. What do you think the lowest point in Yosef's life was? Yosef is standing at the edge of the pit. And the brothers say, let's kill him, let's slit his throat. They paskin lahalacha. They convene the Bezdin, and they paskin that Yosef is a roidate, and they paskin they're obligated to slit his throat. And they had rachamim on him, and they said, ah, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into the pit with snakes and scorpions. Let's throw him into the Everglades. You know, he'll just get ripped apart. And what do they do to Yosef's son as Pasim? They ripped it off him! What do you think Yosef was thinking at that moment? We don't know. Yosef may have thought his life was coming to an end. Yosef may have thought that he would never be the continuity of his father. He would never bring success to Klal Yisrael. He's standing at the edge of a pit with snakes and scorpions and they ripped off the garment of Yosef. But you know, that moment in time may have been the most important moment in Yosef's life. Because many, many years later, the Jewish people are going to be standing on the edge of the Yamsuf. the sea. It's hopeless. It's helpless. And they need to invoke 
one of the greatest merits we have as Kaisa. What does the Pasuk say this seed did? Bayonas. It fled. It ran. Why did the sea run? In whose merit? In the merit of Yosef. What did Yosef do to merit Kriyas Yamsuf? That when Aisha's Toiki Sarah tried to commit a sin with Yosef, Yosef ran, but it wasn't easy because she ripped his garment, his garment. She held on to his garment. What gave Yosef the kayak to run away at that moment? She's, she's holding his baguette. Says the Sfas Emes, when the brothers ripped off Yosef's garment and Yosef was, was thrown into the pit, that gave Yosef the kayak that when he was faced with the Nisayon of Eishas Koytisara, Yosef said, I've been here before. I've already had my garment ripped off. I could overcome this Nisayon. So at the moment in time that Yosef was being, was being thrown into the pit and his brothers tore his garment off him, Yosef didn't understand why that was happening to him. But many years later, when he was faced with the challenge of Eishas Poitifera, he then understood, oh, the Rebbein Shalom wasn't putting me in a hole. The Rebbein Shalom wasn't punishing me. The Rebbein Shalom wasn't abandoning me. The Rebbein Shalom was grooming me to be able to acquire the Zuchus to save the entire Klaisa. What do you think Yosef felt when he was thrown into the pit? By the way, it's not pleasant to be in a pit with hundreds of snakes and scorpions, that's not pleasant. Not very comfortable. What do you think Yosef was thinking? Yosef understood that you could be in the lowest point, point in life. You could be on the bottom of the pit. You could be surrounded by snakes and scorpions. You know, if you ever look in Parakshira, you know Parakshira, the song of the universe, and it has over there what every animal, plant, planet sings to Somebody pointed out to me, do you know what the Nachash's song is? The song of the Nachash is Soimech Hashem Lechol Hanoitlim V'zoikev Lechol Hasutem. The Rebbein Shalom supports all the fallen. He upholds all the bent over. A regular person could be down in the dumps, could be on the bottom of the pit, could be surrounded by snakes and scorpions, and they could think, the Yvonne Shum's abandoning me, the Yvonne Shum's forsaking me. But Yosef listens carefully to the cry of the Nachash. And when Yosef hears the cry of the Nachash, he hears the Yvonne Shum supports all the fallen. And therefore Yosef never became despondent. Yosef never felt abandoned. Yosef never felt forsaken. Yosef felt supported by the danger of the snake. Akrav Mahu Oimer, what does the scorpion say? The scorpion says, Toiv Hashem Lakhoil Beracham Alkomasa. The Rivan Shem is good to everyone. He's merciful on all of his creations. In other words, Yosef could be on the bottom of the pit, but he knows his life is not over. He knows the Yibam Shalom is not forsaking him. The Yibam Shalom is not abandoning him. Somehow the Yibam Shalom is grooming him, is preparing him that every challenge in life and every difficulty is going to come and help him in the future. 
But let me illustrate to you a few isolated examples of really the amazing Hashgach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where the Yibar could take the biggest Nisayon, the biggest challenge, the biggest Makkah, and not help us overcome it, but use that to bring us the greatest success. There was a man by the name of Ayvadya. He was a Navi, yeah? He comes from which nation? Comes from Adonim. He's from Gera Adonim. His father was from Adonim. His mother was from Adonim. And he said the shortest prophecy in the whole Torah. What does the Navi Avadya talk about? The downfall of Adonim, the destruction of Adonim. And the Gemara Sanhedrin asks, why did Avadya speak about the downfall of Adonim? And the Gemara says, that let Oivadya, who comes from two wicked Adoimim, come and speak about the downfall of Adoim. Says the Gemara, the Rebosham doesn't need to take a Yushalmi Yid, a Spardash Yid. The Rebosham will take Adoim itself and bring the downfall of Adoim from Adoim. The Gemara calls it the following. Meneu Abba, Nezo Darga. In English it means from the forest itself, comes the handle for the axe. And hopefully you don't know where that's from. Okay. From the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. Here are a few examples. So there's a man by the name of Paroi. Paroi makes a decree. He sees in his astrological signs that the savior of the Jewish people is going to be born. So he makes a decree. Call Habein Hayiloid Hayoyot Hashichu V'chalabas V'chayon any kid that's born today, any boy, we're going to throw him in the Nile. Huh. So Paro is planning. He's planning how he's going to bring the demise of the Savior of the Jewish people. And what's the Rebbe Hashem doing? The Rebbe Hashem is looking down from Shemayim. The Rebbe Hashem is laughing. He says, Paro, you think you're going to bring about the downfall of the Jewish people? Watch this, Paro. Not only are you going to not bring about his downfall, you're going to create the Savior of the Jewish people. Watch this, Parai. See, Yocheved, she's going to throw her baby boy into the Nile. And you're going to have a daughter who's bathing in the Nile, and she's going to hear the baby crying, and she's going to have Rachamim on the baby. She's going to take the baby, bring him into your palace, and adopt the child. You think you're going to kill the Savior of the Jewish people? You're going to support the Savior of the Jewish people. So this little kid, when he's two months old, he's going to wake up in the middle of the night, and Basia is going to be too tired to take care of this baby Moshe. And Paro, you're going to be cradling baby, baby Moshe back to sleep that night, you know, cooing him and giving him a bottle. You're going to be waking up in the middle of the night, and Basia say, Dad, would you mind going to CVS? I'm at a formula for this baby who's going to be the savior of the Jewish people. And uh, Paro says, okay, I'll, I'll get the formula. And she says, you know, I, I don't have any money. Do you mind paying for it? And Paro literally supported and raised Moshe Rabbeinu in his palace. You know, there's an amazing Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra says, why did the Yvonne orchestrate that Moshe Rabbeinu should grow up in Paro's palace? Because if he would have grown up with the rest of the Jewish people, they were all slaves. They had a low morale. They, have a, they had a slave mentality. Moshe Rabbeinu would never have the royal bearing to be the king, the leader, by Yibishur and Melech, the leader of Kal Yisrael. So what did the Rebbe Shalom do? 
Emotion had him grow up in Paro's palace. And one day, Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Paro. And Paro says, Moshe, you know, you're going to be a leader one day. Fix your tie. Button your jacket. You're royalty. You're the son of the king. So not only did pa- Moshe, not only did Paro not kill Moshe, Paro created Moshe Rabbeinu. You thought it was Moshe Kibbal Torah Misinai. We have, we have to give a big Yashar Koyach to Paray. I bet you forgot to do that lately. Shkoyach Paray. Paray gave the Torah to Klal Yisrael. He saved Moshe. He supported Moshe. He groomed Moshe. Says Rebunna I don't need the presidential candidate that the Jewish people think will bring their success. You pick the president and I'll make the outcome happen regardless of who it is. People get so carried away and so worried. Oh, we have to have this person in power. Only then it will be good for the Jews. God said, Paroi, we want you. You make the law. Not only is the law not going to stop us, I'm going to hijack your law and that law is gonna, going to create the God Hadar, the greatest person who ever lived for Kali Yisrael. You know, in the beginning of Megillah Sester, I love speaking about the Megillah. We're almost there, right? It's already Chodesh Teves. It's almost Purim. Two months. Get ready. And in the beginning of the Megillah, Achashorosh has a Shaila. He doesn't know what to do with his uh, queen who doesn't listen to him. Which seems ridiculous because uh, he's the king of the world. Why, why can't he just do whatever he wants? So he asks his seven advisors. And what's the advice that Memuchan gives Achashverosh? Right? Who's Memuchan? Amen. Memuchan says, Memuchan says, we got to change the laws in Persia. Until now, the law in Persia was that whenever something was relevant to the king himself, he was not authorized to give a ruling on it. He had to defer to his officers. That was the law in Persia. And Haman said, nah, this is a ridiculous law. Because if ever, any time the king needs to rule about something that's relevant to him, he has to ask his advisors, I'm never begin, going to be able to uh, legislate anything here. So Mamuchan suggests, Yetzay dvar malchus malfanav. From now on, Achashverosh, I want you to have the final say on all matters without asking any of your advisors. And the, what was going on in Haman's mind is he felt that his power would be consolidated and strengthened if Achashverosh could make every decision on his own. Huh. Thanks a lot, Haman. In the end of the Megillah, remember when Haman takes a misstep with Esther and Achashverosh walks in and Achashverosh tells, and Chavonu says, let's hang him! What does Achashverosh say? says, yeah, hang him. Oh, wait, wait a second. In Persia, the law is that anytime it's relevant to the king, he has to ask his advisors. So why is Achashverosh not asking his advisors? Oh, you know why? Because Haman, in the beginning of the story, legislated that from now on, Achashverosh could decide everything on his own. Thank you, Haman, for empowering Achashverosh to kill you. And this is my absolute favorite. 
How does Megillah Esther end? Ready for this? Bayosem Hamelach Achashverosh Mas Al Haoretz Ve'iyei Hayam Achashverosh put taxes on the people and all the islands. Wow, what an interesting ending. Here we have this whole uh, divinely orchestrated narrative and the climax of the Megillah, the, the grand finale of the Megillah is Achashverosh taxes the people. And then everyone moves to Florida. No, but Achashverosh taxes the people. Why would that end the story of the Megillah? What does that have to do with the story of Purim? Why does Megillah's Esther end that Achashverosh taxes the people? Watch this. How does Megillah begin? There's a big party. What are they celebrating? They're celebrating that there was a prophet by the name of Yirmiyah Hanavi. And he prophesied that after the Jews are exiled to Babel, in 70 years they're going to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. And the 70 years were up, and the temple was not built. So Ahasuerus says, oh, the temple wasn't built, it will never be rebuilt. So Ahasuerus starts the Purim story celebrating that the Beis HaMikdash will never be built. It's great. Hashem is looking down from Shemayim. Hashem is laughing. Achashverosh, you're having a party that the Beit Hamikdash will never be built. You know, there's a sefer in the in the Ketuvim called Sefer Ezra, and in Sefer Ezra it talks about a man by the name of Daryavesh. Who's Daryavesh? Who's Darius? The son of Esther. And he gets a, he gets this idea one day. Let the Jews build the temple. Great. So Nehemiah says, uh, Darius, well, we don't have money. How are you supposed to build a temple? So Darius says, okay, I have a great idea. I'm going to open up the king's tax treasury and I'm going to give you all the tax money and you're going to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. And I ask you, where did Daryavesh get all this tax money from? It doesn't say anywhere in the Nevi'im he taxed the people. Huh. You know where he got it from? His father, Achashverosh, at the end of the Purim story, he taxes the whole world. He puts it in a big treasury. A few years later, Darius opens up the treasury and he rebuilds the second base Hamikdash. So the beginning of the story, Achashverosh is celebrating the fact that the base Hamikdash will never be rebuilt. And the Rebunisham is looking down in Hashemayim. And he says, Klal Yisrael, it looks like a big pit of snakes and scorpions. It looks like you'll never survive this. Listen carefully to what the snake is saying. God supports all the fallen. Listen to what the Akrab is saying. Listen to what the scorpion is saying. You think you're celebrating the fact that the Beit HaMikdash will never be rebuilt? At this party, you're going to ask Vashti to come out She's not going to want to come out. You're going to have a beauty contest. Esther will become the queen. You're going to have a son from him, from her, named Daryavesh. And he's going to give all your tax money to rebuild the second temple. You think this Suda is celebrating the eternal destruction of the second base HaMikdash? This Suda is building the second base HaMikdash. Achashverosh says at his party, Klal Yisrael is mourning. Achashverosh says, the Jews are down in the dumps. 
they'll never have a temple. And the Rosh says, not only this party not celebrating that the Knesset will never be rebuilt, this party will rebuild the second Beit HaMikdash. But you have to look at things with the proper vision. You have to have the right eyes when you look at things. Most people, if they would see Yosef on the bottom of the pit, they would think God is abandoning him. God is forsaking him. Most people would call it Midas Hadin. Most people, if they would see Yosef's garments ripped off, they would call it Oinesh, punishment, strict judgment. Most people, if they saw Akashverosh's party, they would think the Yom is abandoning the Jewish people. But sometimes you have to close your eyes. And you have to recognize that even though to our eyes, Shema Yisrael, Herzachayim, listen carefully, Klal Yisrael, Hashem, sometimes there's things in life that seem like Midas Harachamim. Elokeinu, there might be other times in life that seem like challenge, Midas Hadin. It looks like you're on the bottom of a pit. It looks like your garment is being torn off. It looks like someone's celebrating your downfall. That's what it looks like. But Hashem tells Yaakov Avinu, Yosef will cover your eyes and Yosef will teach you. That not only are challenges in life not have already been worked out before, not only has God already created the refuah before, not only could the Rebosham use the Makkah to create the refuah, if you have the proper vision by closing your eyes and having a and HaKadosh Baruch then you can actually feel the Yibam Shalom is not abandoning us. The Yibam Shalom is grooming us for greatness, for success, for happiness, for bracha. So we hope, Be'ezus Hashem, that by reading these parashiyas, the narrative of Yosef HaTzadik, the descent of Klal Yisrael to Mitzrayim, everything that's transpiring looks sometimes like Midas Hadin. But the secret of Kriya Shema is sometimes you have to close your eyes to the way things look. And with a, a little fundamental emuna, we can feel that whether it's El- Eloikeinu, or whether it's Havaya, whether it's Hashem, Hashem Echad, it's all the Midas HaRachamim, may Rebbe Shem always show us His Rachamim, and grant us Bracha V'Hatzlacha. Thank you so much for listening, and I wish everyone tremendous success, and thank you for having me. Kaltam.